All right, guys. Well, hey, um, I got you for three hours. I'm really excited uh, just to be here. It always is a, uh, come on, it's a walk down memory lane. It's nostalgia to the nth degree getting here and uh, driving on campus. Just yesterday, I'm bursting at the seams because my T-Mobile signal won't make it. So I was texting Patrick that I'm coming. I'm going to be here 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Turns out T-Mobile doesn't work in Missouri. So anyways, um, he didn't get any of those. So I'm here. I'm trying to open the admin building because i got to go to the bathroom. I've been driving for forever. And, uh, the only place I know is the old bathhouse. You guys know the laundry room over there? Okay. Well, back there, there used to be a whole bunch of toilets, and there used to be a ton of showers. Now there's only three showers and one toilet. So I go in there, and I'm just dying. And I'm thinking, man, am I going to have to go in a washing machine here? What's going on? Like it's, it was just sideways. But that, that was our old uh, bathroom. We used to live in those rows right there, the one closest to the shower block. And I remember walking through the snow with my red robe on, uh, going to the bathroom and taking my showers thinking, yeah, this is exciting, man. <laughs> God, I'm paying my money for this. No, <clears throat> seriously, it is a treat, man. It's a treat to be here, a uh, treat to talk to you guys, to get to hopefully invest three hours in you guys and what you're about to do for the King of Kings, man, what you're going to lay your lives down. I, every time I was here, I always felt like I was in a you watch Apollo 13 where they're strapping the guys in and they got to stand on their chests and they're cinching down the seat belts and it's like the, the rocket's starting to hum. Things are starting to spin up and that's what these two years are going to be like for you guys. Uh, the, the rockets and everything's are starting to spin up and uh, we're about to launch you off and man, you're going to be in God's hands. You're in God's hands here but when you head off of here, man, you're really going to be you're going to be trucking and there's going to be things that are going to hit you on the way. Things that are going to be good, things that are going to be really difficult. And for you guys to have these two years under your belt, to have the friends that you're going to make at this school. Man, I tell you what, it's not by accident that uh, Peter says, uh, stand firm, knowing that the, the enemy prowls around you like a roaring lion. Stand firm, knowing that your brothers in other parts of the world are going through the exact same things that you're going through. You're going to remember the Mike Wilds, the Bill Housleys, the Aaron Hefners, the Matt Zooks, my friends going through here, and what they're doing in Thailand, in Africa, Asia, all these different places around the world, you're going to stand firm. You're going to have a little bit more grit, a little bit more drive based off of what you know your friends are going through. So, man, make deep friends here. Open your heart. You only have two years. Make the most of it. Don't cinch yourself down. Don't think, man, I'm only here for a little bit. I'm not going to get too invested. I'm not going to see most of these people ever again, which is very true. It doesn't make it any less applicable, though. Open your heart. Man, these are some of the people that you're going to be, have the closest affinity to. You have the same goals. You have the same mindset. So, man, make the most of this. These were ground rocking years for myself and my wife just uh i was going through the archives uh way back uh pre-vietnam this was us as we were one week away from heading here and arrived green as grass my goodness eyes this big oh this is exciting um uh this was how i got to work detail every day driving my little bicycle I, do they still have the old boneyard in the back there's like okay there i made a barbecue out of an old drum and a bunch of refrigerator racks. That was exciting. My wife learning how to drive a motorcycle. Pro- plumbing crew. Who's on the plumbing crew? Anybody on the plumbing crew? You guys have work detail plumbing crew? Okay. Yeah, this is plumbing crew. And John Hagen with his cows getting to butcher cows uh, in the back. 
And then uh, this was the exciting part of Plumbing Crew. Uh, you guys... You guys are too young. You don't even know the pickle ponds. You know the pickle ponds? Okay. There used to be these pickle ponds, the, the one, the big field out here. And we would have to row in boats out there and scrape all the scuds. You'd be just shocked at what people flush down the toilet. But anyways, it all <laughs> popped up in the middle of the lake. And we had to paddle out in this rowboat. And you were like this target just going across the water. And your friends would find the biggest rocks possible and huck them at you, not to hit you, but to land as close to the boat as possible and all the spray coming up onto you. It was a real spirit-edifying experience. It was very painful. Uh, so fun, man, to raise our kids here, to uh, be part of the environment. Uh, I still, uh, we exchange pictures with different friends that we never get to see. Won't get to see physically this side of heaven, but uh, to see their kids growing up. This is Mike and Libby Wild, Wild Kids, and there's some other ones in there. And then doing our language session, live language. I think Kristen's in there somewhere. There she is. All right. Yeah, we're in the same class. Uh, graduating class, getting ready to go out. Just, uh, yeah, come on. Those were formative years for us. I think they drove some deep stakes uh, for us as far as what we were going to do and just what our classmates were attempting to do. This is us landing in Papua New Guinea in 2003, landing there, and green is grass, and this is us last week, uh, my 17-year-old boy uh, just, yeah, changing shape in front of my eyes. It's amazing how fast he can blow our food budget, so, uh, yeah, please, uh, make the most of these years, guys. You guys have two years here. Uh, most of you guys, this will be the point that you look back on and you remember. This is where you loaded up. This is where you got ready for the times that are to come. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today, what we're getting into. Um, but I want to just share briefly a little bit of my story, uh, where I come from, because I'll reference back to some of that during our time here. Um, my history, I was raised over in New Guinea. Uh, went to Numenoy Christian Academy. The boarding school over there uh, finished up in 2000, no, 1994, excuse me, 2000, that's your guys' decade, the millennials. Um, George will talk to you about that. Uh, <laughs> finished up in 1994, came back to the U.S., wanted to join the Marine Corps, had a real uh, burning desire to do that, and my dad made a deal with me. He said, if you'll give me two years in college, I'll give you my endorsement to join the Corps. And so I said, all right, fine, I'll do two years of college. And then I'm off to the core. I uh, went into college, and Dad was smarter than I was. He knew that once I got in there, I was going to meet some girl, and that was going to be the end of that. So I uh, got in there first day and orientation, and in walks the orientation coordinator, who's a sophomore, and this drop-dead gorgeous girl that I just, good night, this is incredible. I'll, I'll stay here forever if I can somehow have the chance to marry her. Uh, and I leaned to the guy next to me. I said, man, I'm going to marry that girl. And he says, good luck. Do you see the guy walking in behind her? They're about three weeks away from getting engaged. Oh, you got to be kidding me. So I'm sitting there thinking through all my assets. I've got a crappy Honda Accord. I've got about 22 bucks in my bank account. And that's about it. So I did the only thing uh, most guys would think of. And I became friends with the guy. And uh, miraculously, they broke up. It was amazing. There was... <laughs> They broke up. Uh, he actually cracked the door there, and uh, I was the good friend once they broke up and trying to comfort her. So anyways, we ended up, yeah, we ended up getting married. God's will was done. Um, 
And uh, we graduated from college. My wife got a degree in counseling psychology. I got a degree in business administration with an emphasis in accounting. And, uh, guys, we had no desire to go into missions. Uh, it wasn't that we thought it was a bad thing. It was just something that men, my parents did a really good job at, but that really wasn't what we felt God had us doing. And so I started working for an accounting firm and I worked my way up from manager to business manager, eventually to office manager, starting to sit for my boards. Uh, went over to London, sat for those, and uh, eventually, within three years, was CFO of North American Operations. We were out of our school debts within nine months. Uh, we had... The private school picked out where our son, unborn son, was going to go, K through 6. Uh, I knew the water polo team he was going to play on. I knew the Pop Warner team and how back then he was going to come back and save the Chargers. Now I hope the Chargers died. <laughs> Anyways, um, life was laid out for us, guys. And, uh, man, we were looking at houses. My wife had, uh, we just had a lot of things going for us. And I praise God to this day that uh, his word, not some call, not the missionary calls are bad, but, man, his word broke in on our world and wrecked our world. And I remember wrestling with it for nine months. God, please, man, we're supporting five missionaries. We're involved in our church. We're part of the youth group. We teach on a regular basis at the church. God, is this really what you have for us? And God's consistent, patient application of his word. I pray that you guys guard zealously your time in the word. This book has the power to change not only the people that you're going to, but your life in ways that, man, you can't even imagine. The person, the people that we were back then in 2001, or excuse me, in 1999, versus the people we are in 2017, directly, directly attributable to what this book does to you guys. And so, man, my wife and I uh, prayed about it and went in, handed in my three-month res- uh, three notice. I was working over in Europe at that time. Uh, there was a lot of countries changing from their native currencies to the euro, and I uh, had to pull out of a lot of those things. And we headed into training. And uh, we came, uh, we went to Baker. That was back when they had two different, there you go, Jason. <laughs> Old-timers speak up, uh, represent. Back when they split the two, had a great year in Baker and ended up coming here for our first year. And, um, Guys, uh, I'll say it again. Man, zealously uh, guard what you get here. The training you are getting here, there's nothing, there's very, very little like it out there. The dominant church planning philosophy across the board from the IMB to Pioneers, Frontiers, Chris Starr, you name it, the dominant church planning philosophy out there right now is called DMM. Heavy on person of peace. Heavy disciple, uh, d- obedience-based discipleship. Discovery Bible study, all different tools that, man, there's different things that it's too, too deep to get into. Very different from what you guys are getting here. To learn language with the goal of fluency in mind. To understand the worldview with the goal of bringing in incarnational teaching. Changing the worldview from the bottom up. These are foreign concepts to many, many missions boards out there. And so, you, man, you have the privilege of sitting in the seats that you're in right now because it is not the norm out there. And I praise God for the year that we had here getting trained, getting trained by the teachers, the speakers, the different people that flew in, changing our worldview as we got ready to head off. Finished up our training here, headed over to Papua New Guinea, uh, my 32nd plug for Papua New Guinea, um, and still uh, one of the most open countries out there. We went there because there were guys that were asking for missionaries. We were getting the letters. You guys have read the letters. I still have a handful of them in my Bible today. Going, uh, learning the national language, and then having leadership give us seven 
tribes asking for missionaries, not making the list of those seven tribes until they've been asking for five consecutive years. That's pretty much the biggest reason why we went to Papua New Guinea. Got there, figured we'd go to the tribe that had been asking for the longest. And uh, 12 years, this one tribe called Tuwadi had been asking for missionaries. They'd been on the list 12 years. We decided that would be the place we'll go. Myself, the teammates, uh, we asked the pilot if he could bring the plane around three days later. Brings the plane around, comes, lands, asks us, or he tells us, guys, I got good news and bad news. Good news, it's a great flying day. Bad news, the tribe that you guys want to go to, the landing strip, uh, they had six inches of rain during the night. It's completely underwater. We're not going there. What is your section, second option? And uh, we looked down the list and looked through what we had, and we decided that we were going to go to this place called Yembi Yembi. And uh, right there on the tarmac is where we actually switched and decided we were going to head there. Uh, loaded up in the airplane, flew. We actually scribbled out a little note on a piece of paper because we knew the Yembis. They had a reputation for being volatile, kind of brash people out in front. Uh, they pushed. They actually had missionaries that wanted to come to them from NTM about 10 years earlier, and they got pushed out of the tribe within their first week there. They didn't settle among them. They were just in survey mode. And so uh, the door had reopened. So we scribbled out a little note saying, hey, we're coming. And the gist of the note was, please be kind. And so we shoved it into a little water bottle, flew over Yembi turned the plane on its side, dropped out the water bottle. I remember watching this little kid. He's running, getting ready to catch the water bottle. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, we're going to kill the first Yembi we meet. <laughs> water bottle comes zinging down. The kid makes it. He tries to grab the water bottle. The old men are on top of him, boom, pulling him apart and then uh, grabbing the water bottle. And we see him waving the note. And we figured, okay, they got it, and we hope they can read it. Uh, took off to another place, Mariama, where Mark and Brian uh, work, landed at Mariama. You guys will hear, hopefully, Lord willing, Brian Holmquist in the next few months or next year or so. Landed at his place and then started motor canoeing, a canoe about as long as from the wall to here with an outboard motor on the back, and we canoed for seven hours to get to Yembi Yembi. The closer we got, we could hear the drums as we'd stop the motor to drink water and to change gas tanks. We could hear the Yembis pounding the drums to let everybody know that we're coming. Pull into Yembi and uh, greeting like I have never had before. The Yembis, if they like you, they really like you. If they don't like you, they really don't like you. And they have no problem expressing that. And so we pull into Yembi, and the Yembis come out, and I think they're going to give me a big hug. And in Yembi Yembi, if you still go there to this day, uh, they'll take a huge hunk of mud if they like you and they're welcoming you, and they'll slam it into your face. They just push it right into your forehead. Then they push it all the way down your face to your Adam's apple, and then they grab diced up flower petals and they whip them at your face that already has this mud on it and it sticks to your face. So you look like this walking piece of potpourri. <laughs> that was it. That was the welcome to YMVM. And I'm like wiping my eyes and just, okay, no machetes, no spears. I guess we're good. Here we go. And that was it. That was our welcome to Yembi. And we uh, spent three days there, walked around, took a ton of video, a ton of pictures, Went back out, uh, visited with our field leadership, and uh, decided, prayed a ton, uh, showed our wives a bunch of stuff, decided this is where God has us going. Went back in, uh, told the Yemis we're coming, and we're going to do four things. Number one, we're going to learn your language and culture. We're going to learn to speak like you guys speak. We'll never be able to speak at that high of a level, but we are going to learn to speak clearly, to communicate clearly. Guys, if there's one thing I can pound into you guys during your time here, learn how to communicate clearly, to be an effective communicator. Your best translators, your best teachers are your best speakers, hands down. That's the rule around the world. 
We're going to learn how to speak like you guys speak. Number two, we're going to teach you how to read and write in your own language. Never developed an orth- They hadn't had an orthography, didn't have an alphabet, nothing. We're going to teach you how to read and write in your own language. Number three, we're going to translate this book into your language. And number four, we're going to teach you what it means. And when we've done all four of those things, we're going to leave someday. We're not here forever. We're here to do a job, and then we're going to leave. But we promise you we will do those four things, and we won't leave until it's done. And uh, I remember my, uh, we didn't know at the time, but one of my tribal fathers, because in Yembe Yembe there's four clans. There's the ostrich clan, eagle clan, black cockatoos, and the toucans. They're all birds. Uh, four brothers descended from what they say a crocodile, but these four brothers are the beginning, the patriarchs of the Yembe Yembe clan. One of my tribal fathers, he stands up and he goes, that's great, so exciting that you guys are coming. That's wonderful, but we want to know, are you going to be like the ones who go and come? Or are you going to be people who stay? Man, it took us months to figure out what he meant. The Yembis had actually had tourists that had come in. They'd had a short-term missions team that had come into Yembi Yembi, had presented the gospel in one day, and flown back out. Landed in a helicopter, presented the gospel, the, a good, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, God-honoring church with poor methodology, with Jesus in their hearts, Man, it took us months to unravel what that church did. They landed, and you know how they shared the gospel? In mimes. And anybody who understood got a bar of soap. How many people do you think went forward and understood? <laughs> the whole tribe, my goodness. I would have gone forward. Who doesn't like a good bar of soap? Um, and guys, uh, methods matter. Methods matter. And the Yembis were asking us, are you going to be like those ones who go and come? Or are you going to stay? And we said, we're going to stay. We're going to stay and we're actually going to be part of your village. And they said, okay, that's great. If that's the case, then we want you adopted into clans. And so they adopted us each into one of the clans. They looked at me. I got these long legs and funky nose. And they said, yeah, you're definitely in the ostrich clan. So, okay, I guess that's where that's going. Uh, put me in the ostrich clan. My wife's got blonde hair. They put her in the eagle clan. And then one of our coworkers had long brown hair. They put her in the black cockatoos. And they all picked us basically off of our physical features. And then uh, the day that my wife is coming into Yembe Yembe, they actually come up to us and they said, uh, hey, listen, we're not really sure, but uh, we think that you guys might not really be married. What do you mean? We think that what they did in the cold country, that's everywhere outside of Papua New Guinea, um, we think that in the cold country, they probably don't really know how to marry people. So when your wife comes in, you guys are going to get married today, just so you can stay in the same house at the same time. So I'm on the satellite phone with my wife, Nina, and going, hey, babes, there's going to be a little party when you come in. It's going to be awesome. Roll with it. Just hang tough. It's going to be awesome. So excited to see you. House looks great. House looked like crap. But anyways, uh, she pulls in her sisters. I give her a hug, and as I'm hugging her, they're dragging her off to the corner of the village. And decorating her face with ash and mud and flowers and everything else. And then they come in and they're dancing, bringing her in. Her feet aren't even touching the ground. Her sisters and aunties have her by the legs and the arms. And she's like this human doll being gyrated around as she's brought in. And then they bring us in, put our hands together, wrap us with a black rope. And then her family shows all the good stuff that she's bringing. She has a clay pot and a few other things. Guys, all these different things that we did to become insiders in the Yembe Yembe culture, as you go somewhere, please, 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 endeavor, work, 
do your best to become insiders among the people group that God calls you to. To become insiders. To speak as insiders. The biblical model that we see for missions is always the guy who is presenting the message coming as an insider. Think about Jesus. Man, why didn't Jesus come as a 29 and a half year old man, parachute in, and start his ministry? Jesus came as a child, came as an infant. What was he doing for 30 years? He's becoming an insider, becoming a local, becoming a known commodity, people seeing him crying, seeing him bleed. I remember the first time Bo cut his arm in Yembiembi, my three-year-old son, as we moved in. And uh, he cuts his arm, and one of uh, my brothers goes over and grabs him, holds him up, holds the, everybody's uh, the arm up, and says, look, look, look. He bleeds just like us. He bleeds just like us. Look at the eye water. He cries just like us. And I said, Give him here. I don't even know what he's saying. But I got a recording of what he was saying. Later on, I'm like, hey, tell me what you're talking about. Couldn't understand it for another year. But they were thinking, guys, they had some presuppositions in their mind about who we were. We had some presuppositions about the way that they thought. But through the time there, through the three and a half years it took us to learn their language, to actually be among them, to break those things down. As you go to the people groups that you guys are going in, to be effective insiders. And so it took us three and a half years to learn that, to learn how to hunt. When they um, they looked at us and they asked us, have any of you guys ever killed a pig? One of us uh, have... One of the coworkers, he'd kill a pig with a stun gun at a pig farm somewhere. And he goes, yeah, I killed one. Have you ever killed a pig alone by yourself at night with a spear at a pig blind? No, I've never done that. Um, and they said, okay. And then they gathered and talked. And they came up with a new name for us. You know what they called us? Overgrown boys. <laughs> Overgrown boys. Because boys, boys haven't killed a pig yet. For a boy to change into a man, he has to kill a pig by himself with a spear. And so, man, I guess, okay, that moves to the top of the priority list or somewhere up there. I want to speak as an adult man someday. I want to be recognized as a man. I don't want to be a boy my whole life. So we went hunting, learning, trying to get the thick calluses, learning how to handle the mosquitoes. We were unsuccessful for six months, and we finally figured out it's because of the mosquito repellent. The mosquito repellent, the pigs could smell it. You have to go hunting without it in the swamps of Papua New Guinea. Mountains of them going into your ears, your mouth, your nose, sitting there at night learning how to master your fear, master your pain, to be able to sit there and listen, keep your adrenaline going up. Oh, here comes the pig. Then there was no problem once the pig got close. Man, your adrenaline is through your ears. To become an insider, to speak as an insider, as a local. Guys, you're going to do mountains of classes on that. But man, I pray as you guys go somewhere, you endeavor to be the hands and the feet, to be the local, to have the insider's access when you make it in there. And so we learned their language. Uh, it took us three and a half years, and then we started into the teaching. And uh, the Yembis, uh, the whole tribe turned out. They didn't all stick around. We actually ran into quite a bit of an opposition. But uh, the Yembis are not like you guys. They're not like a North American audience. They actually let you know what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. Like I said, if they like you, they really like you. If they like what you're saying, they'll stand up at anywhere where they're sitting there in their uh, chair or wherever. And they'll say, keep talking. Keep talking. This talk is good to my belly. That's the seat of their emotions. It's not their heart. It's the belly. The belly's everything. And so keep talking. This talk is going down good to my belly. If they don't like what you're saying, they'll also stand up and say, shut your mouth. I don't like what you're saying. 
Do you not see my ears? They have blood coming out of them. I don't like your talk. Shut your mouth. And then they'll talk to the guy next to him. Did you hear what he said? That's really good. Or, ah, oh, man, I, I really get mad at this guy. And I mean, these are PG-rated R conversations. These are unbelievers. So this is all happening while you're teaching. You know if you're flying or you're dying really quickly. You have a very clear barometer happening right in front of you. And so we started the teaching. And guys, uh, man, you'll hear from George and you'll hear from other guys. We teach and then we would act out. Teach and act out. These are storytelling cultures. To tell story and then to act it out was a huge component. And I remember teaching on uh, Adam and Eve uh, when we got to the stage where we were teaching that lesson. And the fall of mankind. I'm still convinced to this day, a thousand percent. If somebody does not understand Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, there's no way they can understand Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are the foundational pillars moving on into Exodus. The foundational story. All things emanate from those main, main passages. And for us to be teaching on that, and then we would act it out. And I remember my coworker's wife, um, she was Eve. I always got to play Satan. We had real elaborate costumes. They were either black bedsheet or white bedsheet. What are you going to be, good guy or bad guy? Satan always wore the black bedsheet. Somewhere in the black bedsheet, and I'm tempting Eve, and I'm telling her, Eve, eat the fruit. It'll be good. Your eyes will be open. You'll be just like God. You'll be able to see these things. And the Yembies, in typical Yembi fashion, they're coming up in the skit. We had to remind them it's just a skit. Knock it off. And they're yelling at her, Eve, you idiot! You idiot! Do you not know God is so good? Have you not seen all the food? Have you not seen all the things he's done for you? You're an idiot! And then they're yelling in my ear, like, it's just a skit. Go back to your chair. They're into it. They see themselves in the story. And my coworker's wife, as she reaches out, grabs the fruit, takes a bite. Idiot! People are yelling, volume starting to go down. They know these things. The ramifications of the fall are going to be crystal clear to the people that you guys are going to be among. Crystal clear. The ramifications are somewhat veiled in our culture. Man, pregnancy... Childbirth, my sister just gave birth to a child a week and a half ago. She starts feeling a little pain, epidural. Here we go. Happy for her, not so happy for the Yembi ladies. Man, the infant mortality rate, the amount of girls that die in childbirth in Yembi, still to this day, the, pla- the places you guys are going, the ramifications of the fall are not some nebulous hidden thing. They're real, they're in your face. And so talking about it, as Eve takes the fruit, hammering that home, Guys, I remember God in His grace provided a little tree. It was actually a a version of a fig tree and it had a couple branches, low-hanging branches, and we ripped one of them off, got this idea from Mark Zook and hung it up in the teaching house. And the leaves on that started to dry. God, or excuse me, Adam, as he broke out, as the guy who broke out from God, the ramifications of that trickling down all the way to his great, 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 grandchildren. This is why we bury people. This is why we put people in the ground. Because of what your great-grandfather, my great-grandfather, what he did breaking out from God. But guys, there's a promise. There's a promise that God is going to send someone. He's going to send someone someday that has the power to put the branch back in the tree. That one will be coming someday. Guys, we kept teaching, and I'll never forget, man, as we introduced new characters, Cain and Abel, uh, Abraham, Moses, first question coming out of the enemy's mouth. Stop, 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 stop the teaching. Is he the one? Is he the one who's going to put the branch back in the tree? No, he's not the one. He's not the one. We get to Joseph. Wait, hold up. 
Is he the one? No, he's not the one. He's not the one, guys. Going through all the different passages, all the different characters of the New Te- of the Old Testament, getting finally to Jesus and John the Baptist, as he says, "Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." Wait, 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 wait. Four or five guys standing up. Wait, say that part again. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is he the one, guys? He's the one. He's the one. He's the one that we have come to tell you about. He is the reason that we left our homes, we left our jobs, we left our families, we left everything we know because of this one, this guy that we've come to tell you about. Guys, it was pretty cool. Um, I'd heard stories about it before, but I'd never witnessed it firsthand. To see people fall in love with Jesus without even knowing that he was going to die for them. Jesus came for people like the Yembis. He came for the people that you guys are going to go to. Jesus, if he was hanging here, he wouldn't be in North America. He wouldn't be at the Gospel Coalition conferences. He wouldn't be at the T4G. He wouldn't be at any of these big things. Urbana, you name it. Jesus hung out with the lowest of the low. He hung out with the prostitutes. He hung out with the tax collectors. He hung out with the HIV positive people, with the guys in prison. That's who Jesus hung with, the lowest on the economic strata. Jesus hung with people like the Yembis. Man, they fell in love with him because of that and getting to see the impact of that. And I won't go through the gospel presentation, what happened on that day, but we had about 40, 45, maybe 50 people that understood who Jesus was and how he had come for them, how he had died in their place so that they don't have to go to the place of fire. And guys, I tell you what, I've uh, I've been in part of some amazing things in my life. Got to see my son born, got to be a part of some multi-million dollar deals over in Europe. Nothing comes close to seeing the gospel penetrate for the first time into a people group that has never had the chance to hear. To give your life for something, is there anything else? Is there anything else that will stand the test of time that when you leave this earth behind, man, this is what I gave my life for. We're all going to give our life for something. We're all going to give our life for something. I praise God that in my more lucid moments, as this word broke in, to leave behind those things, to get to do that. The Yembis, uh, when we were teaching through Ephesians, I remember some of them saying, we were talking about it, and we remembered that probably the last people from our line that understood this talk were probably somewhere around the Tower of Babel. That's what we're guessing. I don't know if that's accurate, but what they're trying to say is this line, they said this cord, cord of knowledge was cut at the Tower of Babel. And now, in 2008, this cord has been tied back together again. And it's on us to keep this cord going. Man, to think of that, the amount of time they've gone from having anyone in their language that understands who the Creator is. Privileged to give our lives for that type of thing. But today, for the remaining moments that I have with you guys, I want to walk through a couple things. I want to walk through what it will cost you guys. This is not a cost-free endeavor that you are getting into, and we are going to make that point today. If I had to title this message, I would, I would title it Counting the Cost. Counting the Cost of What You Are Getting Into. To go into this clearly, soberly, Understanding the challenges that are ahead of you guys. This is not a cost-free occupation. Much the opposite. 
on the other end of the spectrum. Go into it with your eyes open, understanding what it will cost you. Turn over, if you have your Bibles, to Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Many of you guys have left a lot behind. You've already left jobs, you've left homes, you've left churches. Man, I trust that you have the backing of your home church. You have people standing behind you. You have family, you have loved ones, you've left a lot behind. But guys, there will be challenges coming. There will be more of this. Man, if this is the first time you're hearing this, I'm sure it's not. You will hear it. For those of you guys that are, guys that are new students, you'll hear more of it as you get deeper into your classes here. To think through what it will cost. People who reckon the cost before they go, not once they make it, before they go, they're the people who are the most usable. They're the ones who have the most likelihood of seeing the finish line. To think through now what it will cost you before the storms come, before the arrows start to fly, before your kid starts getting sick, before your support, your main church pulls your support, before somebody, and it will happen, man, it doesn't matter if you're in Frontiers, IMB, Christar, NTM, before some leadership guy pulls the rug out from under you, what will you do? When those times hit, Jesus is speaking here to a crowd in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. It says this, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Drink deeply, guys, of the responsibility that you have signed up for. To make the gospel clear where it's not known, and when those disciples, to, when you have disciples to gather them into a New Testament church, these are not small things. They will take massive sacrifice. Jesus was speaking to the Jews here about carrying their cross. This was not an abstract concept. Man, I, I know that George touches on this a bit. For the Jews to carry their cross, to actually see someone on a cross was not a foreign sight. Everybody from two years old to 82 had seen people hanging on the cross. This was not a newly invented way of killing people just for Jesus. Rows of people along roadsides. The smell. The visual. Those are my neighbors. This was commonplace among the Jews. And Jesus is saying, take up your cross. Anyone who's not willing to take up his cross, not is going to have a hard time. Eh, it's going to be challenging. Cannot. Cannot be my disciple. The equivalent in our day and age would be anybody who does not take their black bag that they're going to put over your head and they're getting ready to execute you and the machete that they're going to use to take your wife's head off, your head off, anyone who's not willing to take those things with them can't be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. John Piper, in one of his books, Filling Up the Afflictions of Christ, this one's actually pretty good, uh, he reviews some of the uh, heroes of old in recent years, recent generations. He says this, Afflictions are not merely the result of missionary fruitfulness, but also the means. God has appointed our pain to be part of his powerful display of the glory of Christ. The worth of the gospel in the world shines more brightly in the lives of those who say by their sacrificial lives, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ. Your sufferings actually promote the gospel. They promote your message. What you go through will speak to the people that you're going to. It'll speak to the church that's sending you. And it will come. It will come. Get ready for it, guys. I remember, uh, I think it was my third CLA evaluation going in. And I'm not going to say her name here so she can get her crowns in heaven. But uh, going in to see a single gal who uh, who was in the midst of language study. Third language evaluation. I'm still green as grass. Eric Hedin's trying to pound into me how to actually train people. And uh, going in to visit her and her teammates, she went in with two other families. She just lost one of them, would lose the second family within a month. She knew that this was coming. Her support had taken a huge hit. She dropped from the 90s down to the 60s. She's in this tribe, one of the most difficult languages, and we had seen the emails. She was emailing us out what her home church was asking of her. It's too much. It's too much. You're one girl. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. And guys, I remember going in, and I didn't know what to expect. I'd met this girl a couple times and walked in. Um, we started doing the preliminary stuff, and the next day... Uh, we were going to actually go through the evaluation. I remember she was sitting there typing on the keyboard, and I looked at her hands, and her hands were from the fingertips to about the middle of her hands were black. Then they started to turn brown. Then they turned into normal skin pigmentation right about here. And I said, what What in the world? What's wrong with your hands? Are you doing okay? Are things going rough for you? You know what had been going on? She was out in the swamps with her people working Sago so much, so often working at the language, being there amongst her people, her fingers had actually been stained black. You know how many times you have to do Sago? I loathe Sago making. I Yembies did Sago, and I think I did it like five or six times because I had to fill out my culture file, and that was it. <laughs> this girl's in the swamps for hours on a regular basis putting in the time putting in the time, getting chewed up by the mosquitoes, baked on by the sun, losing co-workers, losing support, family and church. Come on. Come on. We've got a ministry you could fit in back in the States. We've got things you could do. She stuck it out. She stuck it out. She's still over there today. Still going. Still pushing. Learned one of the hardest languages we have in the CPIC. I tell you what. I don't know if I've ever been more proud of a sister than I was of that girl. I had a pastor right there on the spot, but again, I was green as grass. <laughs> Eric wouldn't have let me. Man, guys, where you're going, what will they say about your hands? What will they say about your hands when the time comes, when it's time to pay the price, to actually dig in for the hard times? Tell you what, you run on adrenaline, you run on excitement, you run on adventure nearly the first six to nine months. And then reality kicks in. I'm here. I'm here for the long haul. I'm here for the duration. Luke 18, 18, turn over there. Because this is not a foreign concept to God, uh, to Jesus. Jesus is calling people, but He's calling people specifically for an intention, and He's calling them to an occupation, but He's calling them away from other things, distracting things. And this incident of Him 
talking with this guy, man, this is one of the clearest indications we have of what the priority Jesus puts on a disciple. What he asks of a disciple. It says this in Luke chapter 18, verse 18. You guys have heard this story, and I just want to open up a certain aspect of it. It says this, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. Okay, so we know a lot about this guy. We know that he's rich. We know that he's young. We know that he has a lot going for him. And he's seeking. Man, this guy is not walking away from God. He's walking to God. He wants to know what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. This is the kind of guy you build a youth group around, a church around, a movement around. This guy's a winner. You want this kind of guy on your team. And Jesus lays out the, the qualifications for the law and the guy in his ignorance and his zeal, he doesn't understand all the implications of it, but he is working as best he can towards that end. He's understanding what it is and he's going in that direction. And Jesus is going to cut to the heart of the matter. He's going to get right in there to the very core thing. He's going to put his finger on it. He says this in verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And here's the common misunderstanding about this passage, guys. This passage is not about money. This is not a money passage. This passage is about what's closest to your heart. The thing that is tying up your heart. For some others that chose to follow Jesus, it was family. For others, it was possession or it was things of this world, the cares of this world. For this guy, it was money. This passage is about what's closest to your heart. And Jesus reaches over all the other things and he says, I want that. Did Jesus need the money? Did the poor need the money? Jesus wanted him to give those things away so he would have no other distractions, no crutches to lean on. Jesus is asking for that thing. And guys, for some of you, Jesus, during these two years, he's going to ask you for certain things that are tied up around your heart. Come be my disciple, but get rid of that thing. I want that. I want that thing. And then come be my disciple. Come follow me. But until you have that thing, until you give that thing to Jesus, there's always going to be a barrier. Your ability to serve Him will be in direct proportion to how much your life, how much of your life you have put out of bounds for God to touch. For some of you, man, you have given up much to be here. But there's still things, there's a little corner. God, I've given everything, but this stuff, please don't mess with my, my home church. Please let me keep that Skype connection with my mom, even if I make it to Africa. Please don't ask anything of my children. God, anything but that. Please don't ask that of me. And these things, God is going to ask for them, and your ability to let them go or to hang on to them will be the direct measure of your usability. How much are you willing to let go? Are you willing to give it all? Or are there things that are off limits? And we get the young man's response here in verse 23. says this, When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Implication, Jesus, you ask for too much. I'll do anything. But I can't do that. 
That's the thing that I will not let go of. We would never say that, but God, if my support gets too low, if it means my kids have to go to boarding school, if I end up in a helicopter-only location or a swamp location, please, anything but that. Anything but that. Really? Things hidden away, tucked away. These are mine, God. I've given you everything. Just please don't touch these. Jesus is going to ask for that. I was over in Africa last year and I sat with the oldest, uh, the leaders of one of the oldest organizations, mission organizations in Africa. And they showed a map of the progression of the gospel in the continent of Africa. And they said, this is actually something that not a lot of people know, but do you know how missions spread in Africa? The primary way that people groups were chosen, where people are going to locate, where they're going to allocate Do you know the primary way how they were picked? It wasn't politics. It wasn't people group. It wasn't language vitality. It wasn't wasn't refugees. It wasn't any of that stuff. You know what the primary method was? Temperature. Temperature. Where the climate was cool enough for the missionaries to actually locate. That's where the first places were reached. And from there to the places that were a little bit hotter, to the harder places. The places that are left in Africa, there's a reason that they're left. They're the hottest places to work among. They're the most difficult languages. They're the places that nobody wants to go. Guys, I say this because, man, I was shocked when we were in New Guinea. People arriving to the field saying, please, my wife doesn't do well with malaria. Can we, can we work in a place where the elevation's a little higher? My kids don't do good at boarding school. Oh, really? Man, who's due? Who's due? Who does like malaria? It always cracks me up when I go to a, a new church. I'm speaking at churches and at conventions. Somebody, some well-meaning, really nice knucklehead comes up afterwards and usually says something to the effect of, man, that's so cool. God called you to the jungle and to the just the whole getting in there and mosquitoes and swamps and crocodiles. That's so cool that God called you there and you're so gifted for that. You know what? Oh, you knucklehead, I want to punch the guy. I am not gifted for that. Have you ever met my wife? You know what my wife and I, we come home on furlough. You know the one thing we hate doing? We never do. We never touch. We don't own a sleeping bag, a tent peg, anything. We hate the outdoors. We like city. We like smog. We like sushi. We like staying in places where the internet is fast and pumping and free. We like those types of things. Uber. We loathe going to places. We hate camping. But guys, when did it become about what you like? What you're into, what you're gifted at, what you're passionate about. Isn't it about somebody else's passions? Somebody else's desires? Or does it revolve around you and what you want? Man, Nina and I loathed the jungle, hated the seepic, hot, sticky, mosquitoes, good night wasn't about us. We love the people because Jesus loves the people. And guys, for some of you, you're going to have to die to some things to actually see this through. One more verse. Turn back to Luke chapter 14. He finishes off that whole thought about carrying your cross and he says this, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. 
Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation with the other. Uh, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Not most of it. Nine-tenths of it. Everything but this one thing. He's not talking about possessions. He's talking about what's dearest to your heart. For many of us, that's our family. That's not our possessions. Do you have a death grip on certain things that even Jesus cannot pry your fingers off of? Or have you come and do you have the mentality of a learner, God, I give you everything. I give you everything. I'll go wherever. I'll pay whatever price if this is what you ask of me. I don't want to go to the jungle. I don't want to learn, I don't want to learn a tonal language. Please, God. But I'll do it if you ask of me. I'll do it if you ask it of me. I pray that when you make it to the field, things go well for you. I really do. But when the waves come, and they will, the storms of life are pummeling you, when the price is steep, I pray most of all that you stay. You stay. Not because you find some reservoir of encouragement. Not that you find something deep within you there. And it may happen. It may not. But while you're here, in peacetime, during these two years as you're being molded and formed, shaped, you're allowing the staff to speak into you, to put fingers on that area, to touch sensitive areas. You need to work on your marriage. you got some issues in your parenting. we got to take a hard look at your work ethic. You allow that to happen. You're being formed. So when those storms come, you stand and you stay. You stand and you stay because of what happened in peacetime before you get to wartime. Let me pray with you. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this class. I thank you for the new ones that are here, that are getting ready, that are preparing for this journey. I pray for the ones that are one year out getting ready to walk through these doors out into live fire action. Lord, the training wheels come off. It's time to go live. I pray that above all during their time here, they dug down deep into who you are. And Lord, they gave everything, everything into your hands. Thank you for them. Thank you for what they have given up to get to this point Thank you that they are the reinforcements preparing to head to the field to go where your name is not known, where churches do not exist, where your name is not glorified. I pray that they make it because of what they get taught and what they learn and what they hang on to during these times here. Thank you so much that your word is crystal clear on these things. Help them to go with the gravity of that in mind. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.